Joshua chapter 2 is one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel in the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 2, and some of you already know where we're going. Um, I believe this statement, uh, the title today is that grace can change anyone. Grace can change anyone. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian home. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church, right? It doesn't matter if your church was the bar. That as you read the story of Rahab, it should well up in your heart this this excitement that the grace of God is stretching out and reaching to the least of people, the person that is the deepest in sin, a person that has uh, wrecked their life, It's hard-hearted to spiritual conversations. Every time you bring up Christ, they throw it back at you. That's that person. That's the person that grace can change. Somebody that's hardened by their sin, you see them as enemies. A wretched sinner who's just living a shameful life, the grace of God can change that person. I love this quote uh, too. He's a friend of mine. He's in his upper 80s, and, uh, and God has used him powerfully for years and years. It's in his mid-80s. Uh, every time he comes to preach, he always shares this with us. He comes to preach. He said, I'm not sure if I should afflict the comfortable or comfort the afflicted. <laughs> if the role uh, behind the pulpit is to um, the people that are just comfortable in a rut that they're living, do you, do you afflict them with the truth of the word, or there's people here that are afflicted. And and in the context of, of what we're saying is, if you feel like there are people that are outside the potential that God could change their life, if you think that there's people that have gone too far to be changed by the grace of God, this message is for you. But also, if you think that you have gone too far for the grace of God to change your life. If you, this message is for you. If you think that you have, you're just a lost cause, that I have no hope of being changed by the power of God, this message is for you. And uh, the crazy thing is the cross of Jesus is so powerful that it can put a prostitute, a prostitute, maybe even a drug addict. It can put any person on the same level as a person that has spent 60 years preaching the gospel. Standing before God, the cross of Jesus Christ puts you at the same position if you spent your entire life preaching the gospel as if you spent your entire life prostituting yourself. That's the power of the gospel. You don't earn your righteousness by having a good life and doing all right. You earn your right. You have righteousness because Jesus. I love, this is probably my favorite hymn between, uh, uh, yeah, this is probably my favorite one. Um, Tis so sweet is a close second. But my hope is built on nothing less. There's, There's no hope outside of Jesus My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Standing before God, I might have preached my entire life, and when I stand before God, my only hope 
is the blood and righteousness of Jesus. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. And so as we walk through this story of Rahab, be reminded that if you in your heart think that there's somebody outside of the, the promises, of, outside of the grace of God, that God, there's somebody that is beyond repair, beyond saving, this message is for you. And if you feel like you are beyond saving, this message is for you. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, says that Joshua, the son of Nun, he sent two men secretly, secretly. That secretly isn't just because of the enemy. They didn't want the enemy to know. I believe this. It says secretly. It's intending to, to be a secret from the people of Israel. Because if he sends spies to the land and they come back and say there's giants, will they again rebel? Will they again not trust the promise of God? And so Joshua sent them out secretly. So when they came back and shared what was in the land, that the people wouldn't, wouldn't fear, but they would trust. He sent them from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Get the lay of the land and the strongholds. It's like a military thing. If you've ever played capture the flag as a kid, you go in and you make sure you see where people are hovering and then you run back and tell everybody. This is like a military strategy. It says, and they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Their intent Nowhere does it say that their intent was sexual immorality, that they weren't going there to get something out of her, but they were going there like a, I, I imagine it probably was, had a lot to do with a, a strategy. If you're a traveler and you go to a prostitute, that's pretty normal. You're out of town and you go there, nobody would suspect that something's wrong. But I believe something far more. If you don't see the providence of God in this story, that God is taking the gospel to a person uh, who is a prostitute. And chapter, verse 2 says, And it was told the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here to search out the land. They've come here to spy. Imagine seven miles from town, just on the other side of the Jordan River, seven miles do you think the word would get out if a couple million people were seven miles from you? Right? They, they were on guard that these, these spies, they were looking for spies and they found them. And they found two spies. It says, verse 3, Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out, and I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for if you do, you will overtake them. Uh, they didn't take the time to search out the home, by the way. 
and thought we got to get on the trail and find this guy. And so I'll say this, never in this passage and never in the word of God did it condone her lying. I don't want you to miss that. At no point does the word of God condone lying. It described what happened, but it's not saying it's okay to. Does that make sense? It's described, not prescribed, right? And so, uh, but, but to think, Rahab is helping the enemy. Rahab is helping the enemy. What could cause? She feared the God of Moses. She believed in the God of Moses. Look at what it says, verse 6. She had brought them up to the roof and they hid them with stalks of flax. That's things that you have to lay out in the sun. It's, uh, it's uh, a plant that you have to use to make linen. And so, in other words, she's hiding it in a, uh, underneath something that's laying out to dry. It's normal to see that on a roof. So the men pursued after them on the way as, as far as the fords, shallow place in the creek. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down to sleep, she came up on the roof and said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land. God has given them the land already. The enemy could see it. I know that you've given me the land. That fear, just absolute terror has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away in despair before Israel, before you. I, I want to put it in context, and this is, this is going to conjure up a lot of hate in your heart, okay? Are you tuned in? This is going to conjure up a lot of hate in your heart, all right? Imagine the night, do we, am I, you agree? Is this conjuring up a lot of hate in your heart? Hunter is just, he wants to punch somebody. All right. But now listen, imagine the night before you're to play Martinsburg High School. Just to put in context, they've won the state championship four years in a row, and they haven't lost a game in 56 games. 56 games. This opponent is so much great. Like, there's no way, nothing we can do. You could send Midland down there and try to beat them, and they'll get whooped and be sent back here. There's nothing we can do to beat this team. We're defeated already. We're defeated before we take the field. That's what happened 40 years before. As they enter into the wilderness on the way to the promised land, they were defeated before they ever took the field. Wouldn't it be crazy that, it, that God would let them know that Martinsburg High School is scared to death of you, right? What if the night before the game, you found out that Martinsburg coach is like, you got to watch out, man. Wyatt Milam or all, Bryce Biggs, man, they're tough offensive linemen, and these guys are going to get to us. I'm scared to death, right? This is going to be a tough situation. It would change how you took the field, wouldn't it? You see the province of God on behalf of the nation of Israel. 
Look what, look what, what God said to Moses. He said this, Deuteronomy 2 says, This day I will begin to put dread and fear of you on the peoples you are under, who are under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. God placed fear in the heart of their enemy before they ever took the field. But 40 years earlier, they didn't trust it. They said, there's no way we can beat that enemy. God is letting them hear the fear on behalf of God to the people. He's encouraging them uh, by this. For we have heard, this is her words. This is Rahab. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of this, the Red Sea before you, were, you came out of Egypt. This crazy story that's unbelievable. God did that on your behalf. We're scared to death. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond or east of the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted we were defeated already is what they were saying. It says, and there was no fighting spirit, no, no spirit left in any man because of you. We lost our, our desire to fight. For the Lord your God, he is God. In the heavens above, in other words, sovereign over all things, and on the earth beneath, he's a sustainer of all things. She is acknowledging that Jesus, that God is the God of all, that all these other gods are not gods. Listen, think about the commandment said, have no other gods before me. I'm challenged by this. Uh, as you go through that, it's not saying here are all the other gods and don't have them in priority before them, right? Have no other gods before me. God is the first place and all the other gods are second, third, fourth. That's not what that commandment is saying. It's saying, it's not talking about priority. It's talking about no other gods in the presence of God. This isn't talking about first place. This is talking about the only living God. And she acknowledged that in a city that is, is overrun with, with gods of this earth, lunar gods even. I had a privilege of going to share the gospel in India. It would have been about five or six years ago. And as you go into homes, there's homes of peace that welcome you in that are okay with the Christian message. Because what they do is they take the cross and they put it on the shelf next to their gods. Because let's, let's give your God a chance, right? If It might be a more powerful God than our God, so we'll give him a chance. That's not what this is talking about. You give the gospel to an American. I don't know if you've had the privilege of watching this movie. It's on Netflix right now, and I encourage every person in this room to take the two hours and sit and watch this movie. There's a gospel that's being promoted in America that adds a little Jesus to your blessed life. That's not the gospel. That might be a growing American gospel, but the, the, the gospel is Christ alone. 
right? There's not first place. We're saying he is it. There is no other way given among men whereby we can be saved. And so she acknowledged that we're not just adding the God of Israel to my gods. She's saying he is God. Verse 12 says, now then, please swear, please swear an oath to me by the Lord. As I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house, with my family. Give me a sure sign, just a a pledge of truth and faithfulness. Give me a sure sign that, that you'll spare me. That you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell our business, this business of ours to anybody. Then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And she had to believe what they were about to say here. She had no other hope. And she had to believe, trust it, and obey it. All her hope was there. Verse 15 says this. Then she let down a rope by, down by a rope uh, through the window, for her house was built on the city wall. So she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go west. Remember, the Jordan River is east. She said, go west, the opposite direction, into the mountains, or the pursuers will encounter you. Hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. And listen, the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath. Behold, unless, unless when we come into the land, you tie this scarlet cord in the window and they'll look up and see that scarlet cord and they'll be reminded that that is a house that that home will be redeemed that that home will be will be spared does it sound familiar that if during the passover you sprinkle blood on your doorposts it's a picture pointing to our only hope in jesus Amen. that this scarlet cord We will pass over. We will save you from destruction. It says in verse 19, Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the streets, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in this house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless in respect to the oath. And she said... According to your words, so be it. So be it. She was not trusting a scarlet cord. You get this. She was not trusting some rope hanging out her window. She was trusting the Almighty God. Works are not based, are not the basis of salvation. Works are a result of faith. When you are born again, there is a heart to obey. Everything that they asked of her, she obeyed. And the crazy thing, they departed in the hills. 
and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned, and they came down from the hills and passed over the Jordan and came to Joshua, son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said this. They were fully convinced and persuaded in the promise of God. They said this. Truly, the Lord has given all the land into into our hands. And also, they said this also, all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. A spoiler alert, by the way, I don't want to go into it yet, but a couple chapters from now, I'd say two weeks from now, something happens to Jericho by God's plan. I won't spoil it too much, but the city's destroyed if you've read ahead, and one family was saved. And it was the one family that was trusting and obeying God. Now what, I mean, you say this is a cool story. You've probably heard this story your whole life, so what does it mean to you? What does it mean to me in 2020? It's middle of June, uh, I want you to think about this. Rahab was a, a Gentile, right? You know what a Gentile, you know what that means? She's outside of the promises of God. The promises of God were for Israel, not the Gentiles. She wasn't part of the people of God. Does this sound familiar? Rahab was previously a prostitute. She wasted away her life. That was her earnings. That was her livelihood. Ironically, she didn't have a husband, but she would. She was a pagan. She was an enemy. She lived in a wicked city. She was outside the promises of God, but Rahab walked by faith, and she was saved by grace. This is an Old Testament picture of the church. This is an Old Testament foreshadowing of what Christ would do for us as Gentiles who are walking in a pagan world, who are enemies of God, right? We, we have no hope in this world. We're outside of the promises of God. This is an incredible picture of the church. I love what Ephesians says in chapter 2. Remember, this is us. Every person in this room, read this verse and acknowledge that this is you. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus... You who are once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. Amen. And verse 19 says, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but now you're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. You remember we talked a couple weeks ago, James chapter 2, we're talking about faith that works. 
And we, we saw this example that Abraham was a distinguished Jew who walked by faith and God saved him. And works followed his salvation, right? Rahab was a depraved Gentile. You're looking at the most, the most significant person and the least significant person that if they walk by faith, James says this, you see that a person's justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the prostitute. She was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. She believed already and her works justified her faith. This is us. Hebrews 11 is often called the hall of faith. It's the most significant people in history of our forefathers who walked by faith. Ironically, there's two women mentioned. One of them is Sarah, pretty significant woman, right? The, the mother of all nations. <laughs> like you weren't supposed to have kids, but God blessed your womb. And now, now we sing Father Abraham had many sons, right? But Rahab was the other one. She was a prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient. means she was obedient. She trusted because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And probably the most powerful picture of what God can take a nobody who's slain in sin outside of the promises of God and graft them into the family of God. Listen to this. This is Matthew chapter 1. This is the lineage of Joseph, the, the father, if you want to call it a, a stepfather of Jesus, his earthly father of Jesus. Look what it says. And by the way, it's not salmon, okay? Salmon, okay? And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Ruth, and Boaz, the father of Obed. Oh, by the way, well, I missed it, the most important thing. I skipped right down the line. No, that's not by Ruth, all right? Salmon, the father of Boaz, by who? So he was the father of Boaz by a woman who was outside of the promises of God, who was a prostitute, who was wasting away her life, that God had taken this woman, spared her life and her family, gave her a husband, and this guy named Boaz, if you read through the Old Testament, his name comes up in another place because he's the father of Obed by another Gentile woman. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Rahab was the great, great grandmother of King David. And if you follow the line, it leads all the way to the Messiah. That God could graft in an immoral woman who's outside of the promise of God, graft her into the actual family of God inside the promises of God. That's such a powerful picture of the gospel in the Old Testament. And so if you want to take away, uh, let this statement be true. No matter who you are or what you've done, the grace of God can change anyone, including you. Now, God couldn't forgive me for what I did. 
I still remember clearly what I did 20 years ago. Listen, the grace of God can change anyone. The problem is we don't trust that Jesus can forgive us of our sins because we can't forgive ourselves. We think God can't forgive us. But by the blood of Christ, your sin is wiped away and you're grafted into the family of God. And if you're trusting that your righteousness is the thing that's going to make you right before God, you're missing. And you'll miss every time. But if it's based on Jesus' righteousness, listen to this. No matter what or who you are or what you've done, the grace of God can change anyone, including you. So if you're a sinner today, just feel like you're beyond repair. There's hope in Jesus alone. Maybe you're stuck in a rut. That God could not take this mess of a life that I'm in right now. God could not turn me around and allow me to walk in the victory that he's already promised me. Right now, I'm just going to stick it out in this rut and hope I make it to the other side. Listen, don't waste your years If you're a follower of Jesus right now living in a rut, he's promised you victory in Christ. And if you, as a a believer, begin to think that you you are self-made while you sit in this pew, may we be humble. You are not self-made. You are Rahab. You are outside the promises of God. Were it not for grace. And so let us herald the message of the grace of God to a world that needs to know that this, can, this might not be the end of their story. That God can take a Rahab, who we just saw part of her story, and turn it to an incredible picture of the gospel. Anyone. Anyone.